Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When your job is the organizer, fixer, troubleshooter, and chief planner, how on earth do you put a strategy together for an event that you still don't quite know how it will look? That's the job of Team GB's chef de mission, Mark England. He's the man responsible for leading the delegation from Great Britain and Northern Ireland at the 2020 Olympic Games, being held, we hope, in 2021. But with the postponement and still question marks over whether the event will even take place still, he faces a bigger challenge than anything else he's done in his career. I'm Michael. And I'm John. Against that backdrop, he's working for an organisation that has had to work quickly to secure the required funding to send the team next summer, and is having to deal with serious and important issues around athlete welfare. Success in Beijing, London and then Rio came at what cost to those individuals and teams representing Team GB? British Gymnastics is currently the subject of an independent investigation following allegations of bullying, and they're not the only governing body to experience this. And what if a British athlete wants to contravene the IOC guidelines and take the knee or wear a Black Lives Matter badge? What would be the approach from the British Olympic Association? Mark England, Director of Sports Services, British Olympic Association and, and Chef de Mission of Team GB. Mark, we are one year away from the Tokyo 2021 Olympic Games. How do you, as Director of Sports Services, Chef de Mission, the team leader in other words, go about planning for something that we probably honestly don't really know how it will look right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting times, isn't it? And, um, you know, I should be putting the finishing touches to the Olympic Village as we speak for a 2020 game. And, and um, our, our plans were in great shape. And, and what we've done over the past four months since the postponement was announced, what we've done is, is ensure that we're absolutely buttoned down with those plans. And, and, and we've in that kind of research and investigation and, and, um, and development of those plans, we, we're, we're reconfirming that our partners in, in, in Japan and our partners back in the UK have just been fantastic in, in ensuring that 
they want to support the performance of Team GB. So, look, you know, our athletes are in great shape. We we were ready to um, we were ready to to deliver for for Team GB in in 2020, and I'm every confidence that we'll do the same in in 2021. Are you planning as you were for 2021, the plan that you had for 2020, or are you working on different scenarios if perhaps the Games is scaled back, if it's behind closed doors, for example? No, we're, um, we are planning at the moment for it to be the same. We can't, um, you know, we don't know entirely what it will look like in, in 2021. Uh, unfortunately, I sit on an IOC working group, an IOC coordination commission, that, um, that is looking into what has been publicly termed the simplification of the games. The important part of, of that is that actually um, athlete and sport will, will, not, um, will not suffer, or, you know, alternatively, it will be prioritised. So we're looking at um, a very similar, if not same, competition schedule. Uh, we're looking at a very similar, if not same, uh, offering in the Olympic Village and the Olympic environment. And what we've bolted on... Um, in terms of Team GB, what we've bolted on is an absolutely fantastic performance first, um, what, we, what we think is a real home advantage away from home, what we think is a real performance advantage for, for Team GB athletes. So we're pretty buoyed by, um, by it. And, and as I said, you know, the fact that I'm, I'm kind of on the inside really of some of the thinking really helps in terms of shaping what we want to do uh, next year. Because I suppose as weeks go by, we don't really know what it will look like. Obviously, in the next few weeks in this country, we're having to wear masks in shops, et cetera, et cetera. Is that, does all that come into planning? So could we potentially see athletes in masks, for example, at the Olympics? It's interesting, and that's the one, that's the one unknown, isn't it? That's the, you know, the COVID-19, what and how is that playing out? In, um, in the competition arena, in the competition environment, in the living environment, uh, you know, the Olympic Village, you've got 18,000 people, you know, high-rise accommodation and, and, and pretty close proximity. So um, the IOC and, 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 and us at Team GB, we're not working through those scenarios. Obviously, we're very mindful of, um, of the global situation and the global pandemic, obviously, and, and, you know, that's been very challenging and continues to be challenging for... Um, you know, for, for, for a number of um, uh, continents, not just countries. So, um, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not looking at anything specific as we speak, but um, we're very mindful and we're, we're just throwing around some scenarios. Mark, I know we're going to talk more about um, Tokyo as, as the podcast goes on, but I wanted to talk to you about your career because it's 19 <laughs> years, 19 years at the BOA. Before that, um, you know, at, at various other kind of sporting organisations, Glasgow City Council, um, for example, and, and the Sports Council. If lockdown and COVID was the biggest test of your career, which I'm kind of assuming it is, and tell me if I'm not, but what was the second biggest thing that has been the biggest test of your career? If COVID is, is the hardest thing you've ever had to deal with? Well, COVID, COVID's been challenging because um, it means we, you know, we had to immerse ourselves in a significant amount of, of work um, as a result of the postponement of the game. So, you know, that was in very, I'd say, difficult, difficult circumstances. I mean, you know, you're looking at a, you're looking at a 13 inch screen for 10 hours a day, you know, working through as, you know, you guys are, and, you know, a lot of people across 
across the world are you know but 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 reconfiguring it you know that was that was incredibly um, incredibly challenging for us but what we found um you know, I, I, I guess if I could reflect on what I think um, and what I hope, you know, I've been very fortunate to, to have had some great experiences, very fortunate to work for some great city councils in addition to, um, you know, Sport England and, and, and the GB Sports Council before that. I think the most challenging piece would, would have been around the introduction of lottery funding um and um and the accelerated pace of investment then in high performance and i was kind of at the forefront of that both with the uk sports institute as a single site option um up in sheffield that was back in 1998 and then the establishment of a, a network of high performance centers across uh, across england through the english institute and what became known as the english institute and and, and what that meant with the investment in sport meant that um, and it kind of um, coincided with, with me going to um, uh, and coming to the BOA. What that meant were, was that um, we had to really sharpen our pencil at the British Olympic Association in terms of putting athletes and performance right at the heart of our thinking, being at the forefront of not wanting to, you know, personally, I didn't want to hang on to the coattails of, you know, in 2004 with what British Cycling were doing, what David Brailsford was doing, the marginal gains piece. I wanted to be alongside that, adding to the performance of Chris Hoy and Bradley Wiggins and, and you know, everybody who is, who, who is in the team back then, Amir Khan, you know, fantastic athlete. So, you know, for me, it was, it was challenging trying to just keep pace of what was a really fast moving environment and, you know, really interesting environment, which is, which has continued and, you know, it's just developed into, into what we see now as a, you know, a hugely successful Team GB, which, I, you know, hopefully the country and, and everybody's really proud of. Mark, when I first started covering Olympic sport, or at least supporting Olympic sport, the BOA was seen as this organisation with, if you like, some blazers sat in London. And then you came along, obviously, in 2001. And there had to be a culture change, I guess. But then to build into that, suddenly London were bidding for the Olympics. So I definitely think, was that a step change? And then obviously in Singapore, it won the right to host the Olympics. So within your first five years, this blazer organisation had to be accelerated into a, a world-class organisation, if you like. How challenging was that? Well, it's, it, you know, it's just what was, what was fantastic about the London Games was that, you know, we had 541 athletes. You know, we, we, we were in tight, we had 271 athletes in Athens, 541, you know, it's doubled, doubled in size in, you know, in, in the pace, in, in, in the space of one Olympiad. So, you know, we had, we had you know, we fielded 13 teams in, in London. Um, you know, never done that before, you know, unlikely ever to do that again. So we had a significant number of athletes in, you know, in and around the environment, in and around the village, where we were on this performance trajectory, um, you know, we'd come fourth in Beijing in the Olympic tab table, you know, that, I mean, that medal table, I mean, that was just fantastic. And to try and do better in a home games, we didn't quite know how, how it would work because, you know, we had... We had this significant number of, of athletes who had never been to a games before, didn't know what an Olympic village was, hadn't hadn't enjoyed that environment and that support mechanism around performance before. So, you know, that really, really stretched us, that um, that home games. We had lots of, you know, we 
I mean, we moved office in that time, you know, we had a big, you know, new chairman, new chief executive, um, new ways of working. Um, you know, we, we didn't have the finances um, to secure because that came through the, the LOCOG London 2012 organizing committee, joint management agreement and all this kind of stuff. So it was, you know, hugely different, different. And, um, you know, we had a very large performance team there. You know, you know, I, I enjoyed sitting next to Clive Woodward for seven years. You know, you don't sit next to somebody like Clive for seven years, you know, without, you know, without some things rubbing off, you know, lots of good stuff rubbing off, you know. So um, our, our commitment in particular to athletes was, you know, was fabulous during that period. And, you know, we'd never hosted a home games in our generation. 1948 was the last time. So we did a lot of work actually on, on what, what it was like for elite athletes from other nations to, to be part of a home games, Michael Johnson, Ian Thorpe, you know, Atlanta, Sydney, you know, and then we brought all of that kind of, espionage and insight into to our athletes you know it was it was just fantastic it was I mean nobody knew how it was going to turn out from the opening ceremony with Bradley Wiggins you know banging the banging the bell at, you know to kick it all off to you know to the four by four back and we, you know we just didn't know and it was just a wonderful wonderful celebration of sport it was a huge privilege to be part of it and the athletes were, were utterly utterly outstanding. And when you talk there about that commitment to performance, that commitment to athletes, elite athletes, how alarmed then have you been with recent revelations from organisations like British Cycling, British Athletics, British Gymnastics recently, that maybe some of that commitment to the athlete has been lost? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? And and you know, we used our, you know, we used that term, um, the British Olympic Association, in our in our public press release that we were alarmed by that, uh, by the news that was coming out of gymnastics, and you know, and it's a, it, it it is, um, you know, and I'm not um, denouncing at all uh, when you have your, you know very young gymnasts from gymnastics clubs across the country. Uh, making comment, but but um, you know when you have uh, the Downey sisters and Lewis Smith, it takes it right to the heart of, of the organising, uh, sorry, um, of the um, of the national federation. Um, you know, but it's it's now going to be uh, an ongoing uh, ongoing investigation. I think gymnastics have acted very swiftly to to announce an independent review and. You know, we would not uh, condone the, um, you know, um, abuse or, or bullying or, you know, whatever comes out of, what's out of, out of this. We, we, we wouldn't condone any of that um, activity at all. So, you know, when you, when you look at um, the sports that you've mentioned, we absolutely don't support a, a win at all cost. You know, I think what we pride ourselves in, in, in the British Olympic Association, Team GB, is that we do things the right way. You know, our environment, um, our supportive environment at the Olympic Games is, you know, I, I would say it, but, you know, I, I firmly believe we do it the right way, um, in, a, in a proper way to support all athletes in their endeavours at the Olympic Games, whatever that might be. So if in Tokyo, Mark, as team leader, someone comes and knocks on your door and maybe gives you an allegation, what 
can you tell us about what happens next within the BOA then what the policy is what the procedure yeah, is it, it's it's quite simple it's a very it's a very swift um, series of actions that take place to to address that internally we do have um, independent welfare officers that, that work with us we work through the national governing bodies in terms of their personnel we have a huge um, it depends on what the allegation is obviously but we, you know we have a huge uh, medical team and, and, and support staff there so you know my, my, my sense is that we're, we're buttoned up what I would say which I think is important is that um, having done you know 10 Olympic summer and winter games jointly that, that I've not witnessed anything um, in and around our environment at an Olympic Games, I can categorically say that. And you know, um, we we would be swift in our in our action to address that if that were the case. The world is obviously changing, Mark, quite rapidly. Um, yeah. The Black Lives Matter campaigns have been um, obviously very vocal and um, very visual as well uh, in the last few months. Is it feasible that the Olympics? can try and ban some kind of message or protest or political message? No, I, you know, it's, you know it's, that's right at the heart of Rule 50, isn't it? The IOC, International Olympic Committee Rule 50. And, and, and you know, I, I, you know I, I, I'm close to the IOC. I don't think that there is a desire for that to happen at all. And, and in fact, quite the opposite and, and um, you know we're encouraging our athletes commission to open up a dialogue with Kirsty Coventry and, and the IOC athletes commission to you know to take the right steps and you know what is right and appropriate in the summer of 2021 you know it's you know it's 12 uh, months hence obviously right. um, you know but you know what, what what is the right and appropriate um, supporting message around Black Lives Matters um, and, and not just Black Lives Matter, you know, it's any anti-discriminatory, you know, um, uh, issues. And, and so um, we've encouraged that. We do know that our Athletes Commission, the British Athletes Commission as well, uh, are in um, full dialogue with the, um, with the IOC Athletes Commission. And, you know, we're looking forward to, to, to seeing what's right and appropriate. Let's talk more about the athletes then again. As I mentioned um, at the start, you're the chef de mission once again for Tokyo, having done it in, in Rio. Just a, a quick cheeky question. What's the most unusual athlete request that you've had to deal with? <laughs> oh, well, no, I can, I can, I can, I can, I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you asked that. And I shall embarrass our legal counsel because our legal counsel is to have Udin cycled with, um, with uh, Johanna, Joanna Conter's um, a correct skirt down the uh, down to the tennis uh, centre because she'd got the wrong uh, wrong colour skirt on for that particular match. So um, fortunately, uh, uh, I didn't have to do that. But no, that was um, you know that obviously that brought a smile to her face because it meant our legal counsel had something to do for a change. <laughs> what's the earliest an athlete has come and knocked on your door with an issue, and and what's the latest at night? You've had a text message or a WhatsApp message or a bang on the door to say something's up. It must be twenty four seven. Well, I'm hesitant. I hesitate to say I get up before the athletes, but you know, I'm sure that the boxers weigh and the judo weigh and probably beat me. But other than that, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I'm pretty early. The late at night one is is quite a nice story, really, and that is um, we <clears throat> we deliberated long and hard for for the flag bearer. Um, for, um, for for Rio, 
and um, it's an important choice. Um, you know that that individual, <coughs> excuse me, that individual becomes the the team captain, and you know it's a responsibility that they um, they should shoulder well uh, and and lead the team. And and so it was quite late at night when. Um, when I got Andy Murray out of bed to come down to have a chat about about it, and he didn't know what the he didn't know what the discussion was going to be about, but you know he 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 came down to my office and and uh, I think as he puts it, you know I was I was dragged into the head not dragged in, but I was invited to come into the headmaster, headmaster's office, you know, with his in his underpants and his t-shirt, you know, and 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 I discussed with him the importance and uh, of you know, Team GB and, and the fact that, you know, we were 360 athletes, we wanted to do something which was incredible in Rio. We wanted to, to make history. No no other uh, other sporting body, no other national committee, no other team had ever done better at an away games, post-hosting. You know, and I wanted to do all of that. And, you know, I had that ambition. I wanted to put the per performance of the athletes first. You know, uh, and it was achievable, it, you know, we could do it. And so choosing Andy and the way that he responded and the way that we discussed that evening quite late at night. And I mean, it was a difficult one for him because we then had to re reschedule all of his training the following morning and all the rest of it. But it's a nice story, you know, it was, um, he, he was fabulous and continues to be so, you know, he, 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 representing Great Britain. It's interesting, you know, because people say, you know, tennis, golf, whatever. Representing Great Britain is really, you know, at, the, at his heart, whether it's Davis Cup or, you know, whether it's Team GB, you know, he's been a fan, fantastic advocate for us, uh, you, know, and a, you know, a superb athlete, superb athlete. It's interesting that you chose the Andy Murray example. I remember listening to you telling Catherine Granger that story on the UK Sport Podcast, oh, right. Medals and More. But it's interesting because I wanted to ask you about who decides your schedule. And it's interesting there that you mentioned tennis and golf because there was that particular Sunday in Rio where you had two of those big names, Andy Murray and Justin Rose, potentially going for gold medals at the same time. John and I had a discussion about where we were going to go that afternoon. John chose the tennis. I chose the golf. How do you decide where to go? Because surely everyone wants you there. <laughs> Well, clearly, I need somebody to decide it for me because I didn't go to the golf, and I and I and I gave myself two and a half hours to go to the tennis, you know. And I think, I, you know, from memory, Andy was four one up, I think, in the first set against um, Del Potro, and before you knew it, you know, it was four all, and this was going to be one hell of a match, which lasted three plus hours. But you know, uh, the the role of the chef de mission. <laughs> It's not, you know, clearly it's not just about watching sport, you know, hugely privileged, seen some fantastic matches, seen some fantastic um, uh, individual performances, uh, you know, and, and one of the great things about, about um, my position and people who go to support Team GB at an Olympic Games, you know, within the accredited team is you get this great opportunity to see athletes at close quarters train. You know, and, and, and if you heard that podcast, you know, watching Amir Khan in 2004 train um, before his, his, his fights, you know, he was utterly outstanding, you know, spellbindingly quick and solid and fast and, and strong, hugely powerful, you know. And so, you know, you do get this amazing insight into these individuals. Um, 
you know, but the job is not just watching sport. You know, you, you're, you're running, you know, you're running a, you're, you know, you're running a business, which is 50 world championships over 17 days. There's a lot of people who aren't, aren't competing on certain days. You know, you need to make sure that they're all right. You need to make sure all the, all the team leaders are okay. You know, everybody's supporting and it can be quite lonely, you know, as well, you know, the Olympic environment, as you guys know, you know, it's not fun and games every day. So you, you've got to make sure that the team is, is upbeat, positive, that, that, you know, athletes who are, who are arriving, you know, with maybe only three days to go, you know, Mo Farah in the five and 10 or, whatever it happens to be, you know, modern pentathlon right at the end of the games, you need to make sure that, you know, everybody's bang on it, you know, for, for, for the whole, whole duration of the games, you know, so, you know, important stuff. Mark, we'll begin to round up uh, how we started by talking about Tokyo. As you said, you know, we should be literally getting to the point where the village, you know, the village is, is up and running and the athletes are about to go into action. Do you think then in a year's time that it's actually unfair if we say, can we do better than we did in Rio? You were in charge of that record-breaking Rio team, 67 medals, 27 goals. Now the Olympics isn't in a four-year cycle and it's a five-year cycle. And, and all the, 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 the difficulty that that brings for people training, as you've mentioned, should we actually be now be not saying we, have, we, we can or should we be doing better? Yeah, if I just reflect on that, you know, what I would say is that we're in great shape. You know, we are in great shape. And um, and I've every confidence that the performance programmes that the athletes, um, you know, and, and the sports have put in place, you know, are, are right and are appropriate to peak at an Olympic Games. I guess my reflection is today, you know, 12 months to go, is it relevant? You know, is 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 that hugely relevant given what's happening on a global scale? Given that forty three percent of athletes have yet to qualify, given that our athletes have yet to get back. I mean, you know, there's five stages to go on the you know the, the, the return to to competitions. You know, range five is is where you know is, is competition and qualification and we're in you know we're only in in scale or stage two at the moment so um you know there's a long way to go there's a long way to go and um what i would say is is whatever the team looks like when we get there you know we will be in in, in strong shape uh, but they may just they may be a slightly different narrative you know our athletes have been fantastic in terms of their commitment to to the greater good to the greater community good to supporting the nhs you know there's been some wonderful um work that they've done on you know whether it's tiktok or um challenge and and you know and our programs have, have supported them and um you know and, and they'll be there to, they'll be there to inspire you know the inspire the, the um you know the home support back here and and anybody who who's allowed and and, and can travel you know they'll be there. You know I'm sure with a with a smile and a steely determination. But um, you know we need to we need to see how the world um, sits next year and 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 how how we fit into that global global scheme and global position. I think. Well, Mark England, Chef de Mission and Director of Sports Services. Team GB. Thank you so much for talking to anything but footies, great British bosses. My pleasure. Sports Social Podcast Network.
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.